a central theme of Parshas Vayetze is sheep and shepherds. The Torah, Chumash, and Tanakh in general has a lot to say about sheep and shepherds. We know that uh, a few Parshas ago, Avram and Lot had uh, their shepherds got into an argument when Yosef is sold by his brothers. The, he went to check on them when they were tending sheep uh, near Shechem. Uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, we'll get back to that soon, was a, was a shepherd when God called him from the burning bush to go redeem the Jewish people from Egypt. There are, there are, there are many stories about, about sheep and shepherds in the Torah, but Pasha's Vayetze, almost the entire Pasha, deals with sheep and shepherds. Early on in the Pasha, Yaakov arrives at Haran, and he sees the shepherds waiting by the well. They explain to him that they have to get together to roll the stone off. He asks where Lavan is. They, they, he asks about Lavan. They say, oh, his daughter Rachel is coming with the sheep. She was a shepherd, as it says. He meets Lavan. He says, uh, he says I'll, I'll work seven years for your... I'll, I'll tend your sheep for seven years for your daughter. Lavan tricks him, of course. So he winds up working 14 years for two daughters, Rachel and Leah. Then he works another six years for, for profit to, to, to be paid by Lavan. Tori gets into a lot of details about the colors of the sheep and the sticks and the details of the sheep arrangement. It's not an exaggeration to say most of this Pasha deals with sheep and shepherds. Now, as we mentioned earlier, we find that a number of great figures in Tanakh were shepherds. We, in addition to Yaakov and Moshe Rabbeinu we mentioned earlier, when the brothers go down to Egypt and in Parshas, in Parshas Vayigash, so that they, Yosef instructs them to tell Paro, tell them, tell them that you're shepherds, he'll give you Goshen. Paro said, what, what, what do you do? They say, our families are shepherds. David Melch is a shepherd. Again, he was called to, to, to be the king from being a shepherd. Lots and lots of sheep and shepherds in Tanakh. Could be a coincidence, it could be it was just uh, that's what they did, but ma- many, many midrashim and commentaries assume that there's something significant about being a shepherd, that there's some connection to uh, being a, a navi, a leader, a tzaddik, and a shepherd, and they explain this in various ways. One of the, probably the most famous midrash about shepherds is in Shmos Rabbah, discussing Moshe Rabbeinu. It says that it says, a, a very famous story, it says that Hashem tests those, he made, before he makes them leaders, he tests them. He tested Moshe, he tested him with sheep. Moshe Rabbeinu, all of Hashalom, he was tending the, to the sheep of Yisro in the desert. A gedi, a kid, a lamb, ran away. Moshe chased the lamb, and, uh, that uh, eventually the lamb reached a stream of water, and the lamb stopped to drink. When Moshe caught up with the lamb, he said, I didn't know you, I didn't know you were, you were running because you are thirsty. He says, you, you, you're tired, ayefata. So Moshe tenderly picked up the sheep and carried him, carried him back on his shoulders. So Kosh Baruch Hu said, you have rachamim, you have compassion to take care of the sheep of, uh, the, the, the sheep of Basar Vadam. so you're going you're gonna to tend my sheep, Israel. You, you're, you're suitable to be a, a shepherd of Klai Israel and that's how he was, uh, he was chosen to be Moshe Rabbeinu. Similar story about Davon HaMelech, the Midrash says, it says, Davon HaMelech says, He took him from the, something to do with sheep. What are Michlos? So the Midrash explains that he would police the sheep, he would stop the, the bigger, stronger ones 
from getting all the, the good food and, and crowding out the little sheep who, who weren't as, as tough. He says that he would first, he, he would first withhold, hold back the, the big sheep and let the little sheep eat the tender grass so that they could, because it was harder for them to eat the tough grass, I guess. And I guess all the sheep like the tender grass. It's tastier, but the little sheep can really need it. That they can't handle the big grass. They, they can't fight the big sheep for it. So David would carefully first hold back the big sheep and let the little sheep uh, eat the grass. And then he would take the the zikanim, the older sheep, which were apparently stronger than the baby sheep, but not as strong, but not as strong as the young uh, sheep in the in the prime of their life. He would he let the older sheep eat the, the intermediate grass. Then finally, he would let out the bahurim, the young strong sheep. They would eat whatever was left, which was the tough grass. So this Midrash has an additional dimension. It wasn't just that David cared about the little sheep. Part of caring, part of being a leader is you have to police things also. You have to police those who, need, who are too aggressive or too strong, who will uh, take advantage of the others. That, that, that's, that's part of, uh, that, that it's, it's not just about kindness, it's about toughness as well. You have to be tough when necessary to enforce the, to make sure everyone gets his fair share. So that's what Akash Baruch Hu said, Mishu Yodea Liros Etzeon Ishlopichocho. The, uh, uh, he who knows how to, how to let each sheep get what's appropriate for him. Yovah the of Ami, he shall lead. Uh, he shall lead my nation. And that's why the next pasuk says in Tehillim, Me'acher, Me'acher Olos Hevio Liros Biakov Amo, that it started with sheep, but the, but but because of the sheep, David was eventually appointed by Hashem to a position of being the shepherd of Klal Yisrael. So this is the idea of the Midrash, the first idea of the Midrash, that the, being a shepherd is an important test, it's an important uh, proving ground to show that you're able to be a leader, that you care about the, all the sheep, that you know how to lead the sheep. Midrash brings another chat that a leader has to be tested for integrity. A leader has to be tested to see that he's principled and a, and, and a person of integrity. How do we see that from the shepherds? Shnei Olam, again, David and, uh, David and Moshe. It says, Hashem tested them, and David, Chazal tell us that there's a rule, Chazal were very concerned that shepherds, shepherds of small animals, of sheep and goats, were commonly guilty of gezel, of allowing their sheep to graze on private property. According to the Midrash, that was what the quarrel between Lot and Lot shepherds and Avram shepherds was about. Lot shepherds were allowing themselves to steal the property of the local people, and Avram shepherds said that's wrong. So there's apparently a great Yitzhahara among shepherds to to allow the sheep to graze in, in property that they have no right to. But David did not do that. It says, it, it says that Eliav told David, Eliav, David's brother, told him, What are you doing here? When David came to the battle, he said, What are you doing here? We, you left the sheep in the midbar. Meaning David used to keep the sheep in the midbar, which is, private, which is public property, which is ownerless property. He wouldn't take the sheep in private property. Moshe Rabbeinu, same thing. Kashbar who appreciated that. Kashbar who said, you're faithful, Neman Batzon, Bo and you can take care of my sheep also. You have the integrity and the principle to be a leader. Same thing, and, and that's the same Pasik, Me'achar Olo Sevio. Moshe Rabbeinu, the same thing. He led the zone, he, he pastured the sheep in, the, in a desert area. Lotziam in a guzzle. He didn't want to take from any, 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 any private property, so he made sure to go to the midbar. Chashbar who said, You're going to be the shepherd of Israel, Shenemar, Nechisa Chatzon Amecha, Biad Moshe of Aaron. Again, it says explicitly that Hashem led, the, that Hashem caused the, the Jewish people to be led by, like sheep, by Moshe and Aaron. Moshe proved himself again with sheep, so he was suitable, he was, he, he was the right person to lead Klai Yisrael. A number of the Rishonim give other explanations, though, for why being a shepherd is, uh, is, it was something that we find among many of the, 
great figures in Kalal Yisrael. Some of what they say are applicable to all of them, some to specific cases. Ibn Ezra, who always explains Vidar Chapshat, Ibn Ezra says that why, didn't, why was Moshe a shepherd and why did he go and do it in the Midbar? Moshe was a fugitive. Moshe was a, a wanted man. There, there was heat on him. So even though he was out of, even though he was out of Mitzrayim, he was in Midian, but Midian was under the sphere of influence of Mitzrayim, the Benadra says. The Paro had influence in Midian. If, 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 if he would have engaged in a, in a job that, that, that would have brought him in contact with people, somebody might have recognized him and tipped off Paro, and, he, and Paro could have sent agents after him. So Moshe, Moshe knew the best thing for him to do would be to stay out of sight, stay, to, to stay below the radar, off the grid, so to speak. Being a, shepherd, being a shepherd is off the grid. You're out there in the desert. People don't see you. You're, you're well off the beaten track. That's why he, that's why he was a, a shepherd outside the Yishuv. Ralbag follows Ibn Ezra. He says, Moshe, because of his fear of Paro, he became a shepherd. The people wouldn't see him. And that's why he went to the Midbar. So it's, uh, shepherd itself is, a, is, 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 a, is apparently a profession, a solitary profession. And, the, and in the Midbar in particular, the, it's, it's a solitary uh, place. Uh, all because he wanted to avoid, he wanted to avoid uh, appearing on Paro's radar. Other Rishonim give other explanations for the significance of being a shepherd. Rabbeinu Bachya says, he, he's going on the Shvatim, the, the, the brothers of Yosef, they, they told Paro that that was their career, that they were shepherds. Rabbeinu Bachya says, why? He says, Umnus Avasem, it was the family business, he says. Two reasons, he says. One reason is, being a shepherd is a good career for a Jewish boy. Being a shepherd is profitable, it's Revach Gadol, it's a very lucrative career, Begiza, Vachalav, Vladus, sharing the wool, milk, and, uh, and the babies that the sheep have. And it doesn't require a lot of effort. It's a relatively, uh, relatively uh, low investment of your time and energy to tend sheep, he says. You don't have much Torah Gadol, and, 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 and there's no... Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a very good business, he says. It's a, it's a good career, he says. Today, Jewish people are lawyers and doctors and so on. Back then, Jewish people were shepherds. It was a uh, smart career choice. You, you, you did well economically. You didn't have to expend that much effort and energy. So it was all in all, on balance, it was a good career. So that's the first reason why they engaged in tending sheep. We typically don't think of shepherds as being economically very successful. We, we, certainly the ones who are... There are different kinds of shepherds. There are those who raise their own, their own sheep, and there are those who are uh, hired guns, who work for someone else. Working for someone else, I doubt, pays a whole lot. Shepherds, I don't think historically, were very, uh, very economically well off, but I guess the Shvatim raised their own sheep. Raising your own sheep is profitable. If you're the capitalist, if you have the, your own animals, that's a good business. So that was one reason, he says. And the second reason is... A rancher. That's a rancher. A rancher, right. The, a rancher is the... Rancher is a good business. There's an old joke I once saw, which I remember used to think was hilarious. This makes the opposite point, kind of. But uh, a few guys in a bar in Texas are bragging about their wealth. So one of them says, I have uh, a thousand acres, and I call it the, I call it the Crooked Bar Ranch. And other guy says, well, I have 5,000 acres, and I call it the, the Raised Bar Ranch. The third guy, the Jewish guy, says, well, I have uh, 50 acres. They look at him like, why do we care? I call it downtown Houston. So, yeah, some things are even more, uh, are even more lucrative than, than having farms and ranches and tending sheep. But, yeah, but having a ranch, apparently, in the, time, in Bibli- in the biblical period, was, a, uh, the biblical period was, uh, was apparently a profitable, very profitable, and, and also, crucially, also low effort. That's why they did it. 
Second, he says, because uh, a theological reason, a religious reason, they knew, they knew prophetically that they would eventually be exiled to Egypt. Them, they and their descendants would be exiled to Egypt. And the Mitzrayim worshipped sheep. So they, they deliberately became shepherds so that they would be used to sheep and they would not treat sheep as something uh, exotic and, and worthy of worship. We find that the, the, in, in the beginning of Shmos it says the Jews said we have to slaughter animals, the Mitzrayim couldn't deal with that. It says in the end of Pabratius that the Jew, Mitzrayim wouldn't eat with the Jews because the, uh, the Jews ate the animals they worshipped. So the, the Jews had a very different culture. The Jews were monotheistic and they did not worship sheep. But the Shvatim, the, the, Avram's family wanted to make sure that their family would not and venerate sheep. So, they, so it was, uh, so they actually became shepherds, so they would be used to sheep. Sheep would be just cattle and livestock and, and a, a source of income that would not be something that they would worship. The Ralbag develops this theme at great length in, in uh, Pasha's bow. He says the whole point of the Karim Pesach was to, was to extirpate any, any idolatrous attitudes toward sheep. That's why there was Mechami Baaser, they took it four days in advance. They could contemplate what they were about to do. They shechted it. They put the blood on the walls. They sat in their house all night. So they would think, contemplate what they just did. They slaughtered a sheep and ate it and put blood on the walls. All this was to, was to some of them apparently had adopted some of the idolatrous pagan Egyptian attitudes toward sheep. So they, Hashem wanted to eradicate that. That was the rit- ritual of the Karim Pesach. But in any event, the, according to the Rebbe second approach, that's why they were... Uh, that's why they were shepherds, because it was, it, it, it was meant to, uh, to avoid Avodah He then brings kind of a third shot. He says, a remarkable generalization. He says, Rov We find that most Tzadikim and Nevi'im were shepherds. Hevel, one of the very first people in history, was a Rov Moshe, Moshe was a shepherd. Shmuel Hanavi, he says, for years I was... Uh, I gave a version of this share some seven, eight years ago, and for years I remember I, I never knew what this meant. What, uh, I'm not sure where we find Shmuel was, uh, was a shepherd, but okay, Shaul HaMelech, David, they were all shepherds. And the reason is, he says, he gives another pshat, a kind of uh, Musra pshat, a kind of uh, also a religious pshat. He says, being around people, being around civilization, civilization is corrosive. Many Averis come from human society, Rechilus, Lashon Hara. Slander and gossip, shua sheker, false oath, perjuring yourself, gilia rayos, sexual transgressions, gezel b'chamas, different types of theft and robbery. All these things are uh, human society. This is like one of those uh, romantic thinkers that believe that man in a state of that society somehow is corrosive, but uh, humans by themselves have a much greater chance at, uh, of, of being good than they do when they're put together in society. So the, the, to the further you can exclude yourself from society, the further you can avoid sin, he says. Also, he says, another angle, he says, is that it's a good place for solitude and meditation, contemplation, which leads to Nevoah, to meditate and have theological, religious meditations, which lead to, uh, to Nevoah. You don't see things that distract you, he says, from thinking about a Kodesh Baruch Hu, being a shepherd. You can just focus on what's important, on, on, on Hashem and so on. And that's why, he says, we find the Gedolei Hanavim, even, I guess, the ones who weren't shepherds, they would, even when there was no mirror, even when they, they, went, they went to the Midbar, they went to desolate places, even when there was no, no uh, pasture land, just to get away from people. They, 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 would, they would leave society in order, to, in, order to engage, in order to experience solitude, which they felt was congenial for their development as Ovda Hashem. Kliyakar says something similar. He says, the Kliyakar says, 
Moshe was a shepherd. Most of the Nevi'im, he says, they, they achieve Nevuah through shepherding, he says, because again, Nevuah requires his bodidus. His bodidus is seen, I think, a resurgence in Hasidic and Musr thought, but uh, it's an old idea that, that solitary contemplation leads to spiritual growth. And also, he says, you see the sky, you're out there in the fields, you look at the sky, which is the handiwork of God. Uh, it says, that's how you focus on Hashem until you get uh, imbued with the spirit of Hashem. You don't see that. Someone who lives in his house or someone who does work in the field, he's thinking about his work. He's not just sitting there contemplating the skies, he says. The shepherd is not doing anything most of the time. He's, he's just keeping an eye on the sheep, but he's, he's, he's free to engage in contemplation and, and, and contemplation of Hashem, and that leads to Nebuah. It, it occurs to me that uh, this, this is a classic Jewish idea that looking at the sky, looking at nature, can bring you closer to Hashem because the nature and the sky is the work of Hashem. So by contemplating that, you get a certain understanding of a Kosh Baruch Hu. Rav Aaron Lichtenstein, I saw this years ago, I wouldn't count on that I'm saying it exactly correctly, but Rav Aaron Lichtenstein has an essay on humanism. Rav Aaron Lichtenstein was interested in humanism, literature and humanism. And he says, we find most of the defense, in general, the defense of Chachma, of, of secular, of non-Jewish wisdom, in the Jewish tradition is typically science. The Rambam and others who defended studying Greek, Greek philosophy and so on, they were generally referring to philosophy and science, mathematics, what we would call the hard sciences, some of the philosophy maybe not, but in general things that are more scientific and more uh, cold and impersonal. We don't find them discussing literature, fiction, and plays as much. Ravaren says, he says, Ravaren loved and thought there was worth in literature, and he said, Lachar, we can argue that, uh, as I recall, he says, Lachar, we can argue that the same logic that they felt that studying nature, studying astronomy, studying the God's handiwork brings you closer to Hashem because you can understand Hashem by, by studying his works. What's the greatest work of Hashem? People, he says. The human being is the Salem Elohim. By studying people, you can achieve the greatest understanding, one can argue, of Hashem. How do you study people? That's what literature is. Literature is the study of human beings. It's not, it's not, so is biology, I guess, and psychology as well. But the point is, literature essentially is, the, is one perspective on studying human beings, how they think, what makes them tick, what, what they want, what they, what they value, how they, how they choose, and so on. That's, that's the greatest uh, studying, that's the greatest example you can do of studying the handiwork of Hashem. Nevertheless, as the Kliyakar says, the traditional approach is, if you, want to, if you want to reach Hashem, getting away from people and studying the stars was generally considered more effective than hanging around people with their corrosive and uh, not unwholesome, unwholesome, uh, un, uh, their corrosive and unwholesome unwholesomeness. For the remainder of our talk, I want to discuss a shift to a halachic perspective. Um, I, uh, before we do that, I, I, just one final comment. Uh, we mentioned that Moshe Rabbeinu, the Midrash says, Moshe was chosen, he had compassion on the sheep. Hashem said he'll make him the leader of the Jewish people. I was always a little uncertain about this Midrash. A shep- and, and that's what we're going to see soon when we get in the second half of our talk, in the halachic portion of our talk. The goal of a shepherd, the primary goal of a shepherd is not... Uh, he's not a member of the Humane Society. The primary goal of the shepherd is to make money, whether it's for himself, as Rina Bachi says, it's a lucrative profession, or if he's uh, a hired hand, to, to make money for his boss. His job is not to promote the welfare of the sheep, except insofar as the welfare of the sheep is, uh, is a means to the end of making money for himself or his boss. I'm always reminded of these science fiction stories where 
where, where the humans are captured by aliens of superior might and technology, and they're being they're 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 kept captive. They're being they're being kept nicely. They're being fed. They're taken care of, and they're not sure why until they they realize to their horror that the aliens want to eat people and they're raising them as uh, as cattle. So yes, yeah, so, so it's true that shepherds are maybe nice to the sheep, but they're nice so they can fatten them up for the slaughter. I wasn't sure, I was never really sure, is that really the mindset that we want for the future leader of the Jewish people, that he looks at them as, as, uh, as economic value? Is that it's lamb chops. Lamb chops, right. It, it seems not quite the same attitude that we want for a leader. You can argue that even the shepherd, even though his job is to make money, but he also has a secondary concern, he cares about the sheep as well. While they're alive, while before, he, before he slaughters them, he wants them to be as happy as possible because they, they, are, they, they are animals, they, they do have feelings, but uh, all right, I'm not sure. But in any event, as we, this is a good segue to the second part of our share, the, the fiduciary responsibilities of shepherds. So a shepherd, if he works for himself, that's fine. But if he works for, as Moshe did, as Yaakov did, if he works for others, then he has financial responsibilities to his principles. And there's a, there's a seminal Gemara in Bav Metziah, discussing the laws of Shomrim. The laws of a Shomer is a custodian or a Bailey, someone who's been entrusted with property, and it's his job to take care of it. So there's, there, there's a, a very fundamental discussion in the Gemara of Metziah that discusses how far the obligations of certain types of Shomrim go, and one of the, one of the points raised by the Gemara deals with the Pasuk, uh, the Pasuk in Ar Pasha. The, toward the end of the Pasha, Yaakov flees Lavan's home. Lavan pursues him, catches up to him. Lavan accuses him of stealing his gods. Lama Ganavtes Elohai. Yaakov is, uh, Lavan searches, doesn't find them. Rachel successfully hides them from him. Yaakov is outraged. Yaakov, after Lavan, turns up empty handed. Yaakov is furious. He quarrels with him and he says, What did I do wrong? He says, You looked all over my stuff, you found nothing. And then Yaakov proceeds to, to tell Lavan, point out how with the, the great integrity with which he behaved toward Lavan. Twenty years, he says, I was with you. I, your animals never miscarried. I didn't eat your animals. I never brought you any trephus. I, 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 if the animal was, was damaged, I, I, made, I, I, made, I made you whole out of my own money, he says. Gnufsi yom, gnufsi lila, anything that was stolen, I, I compensated you. Hayisi vayom, achalani chorev, ekerach balayla. I was, uh, I, I was with you during the day, uh, the, the, I was scorched, I was uh, burned by the sun, Karach Balayla, the cold desert nights, the, the frost, the, the cold at night, and I, I didn't sleep, I, I 20 years, he says, I worked 14 years for your daughters, and your two daughters, six years for your sheep, and you continually uh, you know, changed the rules of the game on me, you kept changing my wages, and so on. So, the Gemara of Mansiya brings this, this, this comment of Yaakov in in the course of a, an important discussion of the laws of Shomer. The Gemara is discussing several different cases where a shepherd acts in a reasonable way, in a way that's normal and customary, and something goes wrong. An animal, gets, an animal dies or gets hurt. Now, the Shomer could have been more careful. He could have been extra super careful. He, but that's not the, the general custom. The, the general standard is not to do that. The first example is that there was a shepherd who was leading animals on the banks of the Papa River. One of them slipped and fell in. So he said, so he told me you have to pay. The Dayan said, I'm sorry, the, the, the rabbi said you have to pay. 
I'm, I'm sorry. Rabbi said you don't have to pay. Rabbi said you're potter because my have What should he have done? He 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 treated he 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 tended them in a normal fashion. He could have done more. Later in the Gemara, the Gemara brings a dissenting view, all the way to end of the Gemara. The Gemara says Rav Chistav Rabba Ravuna Rabba. They say that uh, the Rabba is wrong. The shepherd is chayiv in such a case. They say yes, even though you did what people normally do, that that's how people normally take care of sheep. Doesn't matter. You're being paid to, to take care of the sheep, and the owner can say I'm paying you. But the fact that I'm paying you, I have the right to hold you to a higher standard. You have to do more than people normally do. It's not enough to say I did what people would normally do, best practices. You have to go beyond that. If you could have done more, you have to do more. What could he have done more exactly? The Gemara brings another story, a similar story. It says somebody was taking, a man named Barada Sevola was taking, uh, was taking animals across a, across a narrow bridge. One animal pushed another and knocked it into the water and it died, apparently. Papa said, Chayev, like Rav Chistin Rabba Ravuna, apparently. What could I have done? That's normal. I took the animals across the bridge. What, 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 what more should I have done? He said, you should have done it one by one. Instead of letting them go in a crush where one of them can knock someone over, you should have done it one by one. It's apparently, that's tedious, and it's a difficult thing to do, but you're being paid, and again, you should have done it. So he told him, uh, is that really realistic? Is, is, that, is that really what you expect me to do? So he told him, yes. That's the halacha. Others have objected to that, but it might be difficult, but you have to do it. And that's how we pass it. We pass it like the sheet of Rav Chista, Rabba Barafuna, Rav Papa, that, he, that uh, if someone is paid, he has to go above and beyond what people normally do. It's not enough to say, I did what people normally do. You have to do if you're getting paid, you have to do more than people normally do. Uh, going back to the beginning of the Gemara, the Gemara says, according to Rabba, who said, as long as you acted in a reasonable manner, you're putter. So the Gemara says, what would happen if you, uh, sometimes the, the shepherds used to take a break. They, they, would, they, they, they would leave the sheep in a, in, a, you know, in a secure location and just go into the city for, uh, for a break. Can you do that? He said, yeah, you can do that. If that's what people normally do, that's fine. What if you take a nap? They used to take a siesta. They used to, take a, uh, they used to sleep sometimes. You can, do that. you can do that as well, he says. You can do that. Uh, if that's nap time, if that's when people sleep, you can do that as well. So Rabashita was that a shepherd, even a paid shepherd apparently, is allowed to do whatever people normally do, even though it's possible to push himself harder and to be, and to be hardcore in his shepherding. He not much to do that. He's allowed to act the way people normally act. The Maskana of the Gemara, though, of Rabba Barapuna and Ravchista and Rafapa is that, no, even if it's difficult, even if it's virtually impossible, the shepherd has to do, if he's being paid, he has to do whatever is conceivable, whatever is humanly possible, and if he doesn't do that, he's chayef. So that's the Maklokis. We pass in the that he has to do everything. The, the, the beginning of the Gemara, the Gemara was discussing the sheet of Rabbah, that he's allowed to do what other, what other people normally do, and he doesn't have to go beyond that, even though he's getting paid. So the Gemara brings various proofs back and forth on this question. One of the proofs the Gemara brings is from Yaakov Avinu. It says, Eisvei, I have a cash on Rabbah. Rabbah says a shepherd can say, a shepherd is allowed to do whatever other people normally do when they're taking care of animals. But the Brisa says, how far does a Shomer Sacher have to go? What does a Shomer Sacher have to do to fulfill his obligation? He's, a Shomer Sacher is a paid custodian. How far does he have to go? Ad Kedei, you know how far he has to go? Hayisi machalani balayla. He has to do what Yaakov did. Yaakov, according to this Brisa, it sounds like Yaakov was not just saying that he was... Uh, 
Be, that he did above and beyond the call of duty. The Brisa seems to say, and that's how the Mara takes it initially, that's what a shepherd has to do if you're being paid. What Yaakov did was no more than his duty. A paid shepherd must be stay, stay during the day, even though it's broiling, stay there at night, even though it's freezing. Doesn't matter. If you're being paid, you have to stick to the sheep like glue. You can't leave no matter what. So you see that, you see Rabba's wrong. You see that a Shor cannot say, I did what normal people do. You have to do any, anything humanly possible. So like Mara said, Rabba would tell you, no, that's not talking about a regular shepherd. A regular shepherd, even if he's being paid, is not high to do that. That's talking about Chazne Masa. Chazne Masa are a special watchmen of the city. They have special heightened responsibilities. The city depends on them. That, that, that's a special, unique type of shomer who has special responsibilities. But ordinary shomerim don't have to do that. When the Brisa says, Ad Masai, Shomer Sachachai of Lishmar, how far does he have to go? That's talking about only about a special case of a chasni masa. Ordinary shomer sachar, maybe Rabbah's right, doesn't have to go beyond what people would normally do. The Gemara says, well, Yaakov wasn't a chasni masa. Yaakov was an ordinary shepherd. So if an ordinary shepherd doesn't have to do that, then why did Yaakov do it? So the Gemara says, you're right. At this point, we go back to what I said before. Yaakov was acting like Nimeshur Yaakov said, look how good I was. Even though I'm not a chasni masa, even though I could have gotten away with leaving the sheep at, uh, at, at normal times, I didn't do that. I, I, I went above and beyond. I did what Chazmi Masa did, even though I'm not mechayiv to do that. That's how Rav understands. Rav understands that Yaakov Avinu was not mechayiv to do a shepherd does not have to do that, even though he's getting paid. Yaakov did it anyway, because he had such integrity. Rav Aaron Cutler, when, uh, when Rav Aaron Cutler describes the, the, beha- the, the conduct of Yaakov, he says that he achieved great spiritual heights in, in Lovan's house. He said... Uh, he said that in those seven years, Tier Vikidish is Atmo Kaamur of Lovan Garti. They were in Yanim Gedolim. We only see a little bit of the great things Yaakov was doing. He had Dinim that are not in Chosh and Mishpah, Taisi Bayom, Achalani Chorev, Akarak Balayla, Batida Shnasi Meenai, Ban Hagos Kaelu, Ain Sacher Chayev. Ravaran says, You're not Machayev to do that. That is above and beyond the call of duty. The Gemara calls on Tirushi Yaserta. You don't have to do that. that. But Yaakov did it anyway because of his uh, tremendous spiritual stature. The problem is that the, in the Shiltas Dravachai, the, the great Gaonic work of, uh, of Achai Mishivcha, the Shiltas Dravachai, he rules that what Yaakov did is absolutely the halacha. He says, A person to whom animals are given and, he, and he's being paid to watch them, he has to watch it, uh, if he's a Shemachina, then he has to watch it with a, a, a lesser level of Shmira. He's only chayef for gross negligence, pshia. If he's a shomer sachar, he says, then he is chayef ilan turi ba'agra shlimule. If he's being paid, then even though he put it in a secure location, he was not negligent. If it got stolen, he's chayef. Why? Ubai or dibai, different yourselves. And he has to, or because he has to, ubai lamesa badal and turi valelia, he must remain with the property day and night. That's what Yaakov did. Yaakov told Lavan, I watch your sheep day and night. Says the Sheltos, a, shep- a, a, a Shomer Sachar must remain with the property day and night. He cannot simply put it in a secure location and, and leave it there. And because that's what Yaakov said. Yaakov said, I, I was with your sheep day and night. That's what a Shomer Sachar's Mechayiv to do. So the Gemara seems to say that the, what Yaakov did was, I did more, I did what a Chasni Masi would have done. I'm not Mechayiv to do that, because I'm allowed to do what normal people do. But the Shilta says, no, a Shomer Sacher must do what Yaakov Avinu did. Rav Yeshaya Berlin, 
not to be confused with Isaiah Berlin, Rabbi Yeshaya Pick Berlin, the author of the Messiah of Shas, a great, uh, great Akron from several centuries ago. In his commentary to the Shiltas, the Sheila Shalom, he says, I don't understand. How can the Shiltas claim that, you, that a Shorah must do what Yaakov did? The Gemara says, only Chasner must have to do that. Only special city watchmen do that. Yaakov did not have to do that. Yaakov was saying he did it beyond, like Rav Aaron Cutler says. But how, how in the world can the Shiltas say that an ordinary Shorah must do what Yaakov did? The answer is obvious. Other acronyms say the answer is obvious. Rabbi Yitzchak Pardo and his Tafas Reim and the Nitziv and his uh, Hamek Sheila, they say the answer is Pashat. We, we mentioned earlier there's Machlokas in the Gemara how far a Shemar Sachar has to go. The, the beginning of the Gemara is discussing the Shita of Rabbah. Rabbah says a Shemar Sachar can get away with doing whatever is customary, whatever normal people do. He says that that's fine, as long as he can go to sleep, he can leave the sheep uh, for in, in, outside for a while if things, are, if things look safe. That was all Shittas Rabbah. If the animal falls into the river, it's not his fault, even if he potentially could have done something more as long as he behaved in a reasonably responsible way. He's potter. That's all the Shittas of Rabbah. According to Rabbah, Yaakov did Lefim Meshur Zadin. According to, according to Yaakov, according to Rabbah, only a Chazmi Masa has to do that, uh, stay there all day and night, and Yaakov, was, Yaakov went beyond the, the letter of the law. That's all Shittas Rabbah. But the Maskan of the Gemara, after going on for a while, the Gemara brings the Shittas of Rabbah Varafuna. And Rav Chista, they, they pass not like Rabbah, they say, that's why you're being paid, in order that you should do in order to do above and beyond the call of duty. Rav Aaron's comments, are, Kutler's comments are very hard to understand as well. He says, Yaakov Avinu did what the Gemara called, the Nitirusi Yaserta, Ein Sacher Chayev. What do you mean? Maskana the Gemara is, Shomar Sacher is Chayev, Nitirusi Yaserta. And that's what the Nitziv and the Hamek Sheila and Rabbi Pardo say. The Maskana the Gemara, the Shultas is correct. The Maskana the Gemara, Shemar Sachar is Mechayev to do what Yaakov did. The, 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 the Gemara said he wasn't. That was only in according to Rabbah, who held that Shemar Sachar has a lower standard of doing whatever people normally do, of taking naps and, uh, and, and, and leaving the flock for a while and, 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 and letting them fall into the river sometimes. That was all according to Rabbah. And according to Rabbah, Yaakov didn't have to do what he did. We don't paskin like Rabbah. We paskin like Rav Papa and Rav Huna Bredra and, 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 and Rabbah Barapuna and Rav Chista. They all say there's no Torah for a Shemar Sacher to do what people normally do. And therefore the Shemar Sacher has to be there day and night. And the Shiltus is correct. That is the Shita of, of these Akronim. And, and, and the, the Halach seems to follow the Shiltus. The Halach in general seems to follow the Shiltus that a Shemar Sacher is Mechayiv to stay with the sheep the, all the time. Now, the Shiltas has another halacha. The Shiltas says that if it gets stolen, if the, if the shomer did not stay with the sheep, he says if the, even if he put it in a secure location, if it got stolen, he's chayef. There's actually a major machlokas we've shown him about gnevas onus, if, if it gets stolen as an onus. The halacha of shomer is as follows. Shomer chinam is chayef for gross negligence, pshia. But he's not chayef for gnev and abeda. If he, if, he, if he was not negligent, it just got stolen, he's potter. Hashomer Sacher is chayev even for Gnev and Aved. Those are Psukim in the Torah. He's chayev for, for Gnevi Gnev. He's chayev if it gets stolen. However, there's a major machlok we've shown him. We've also seen in the Gemara, in addition to the chayev of Gneva, the maskan of the Gemara, the way we pass in, a second chayev that Shomer Sacher has is to do Nitirusi Yaserta. Ravaran's comments aside, but the Gemara is clear. La halacha, Shomer Sacher is mechayev Nitirusi Yaserta. According to the Shiltas, he has to be there day and night. The Shomer Sacher has to do more than an ordinary person would do, certainly more than a Shomer has to do. So a Shomer Sacher has two chiyuvim beyond a Shomer First of all, a Shomer is only chayev in pshia. A Shomer is chayev for gnev and aveda, even when there's no pshia. Second, a Shomer is chayev in a tirusi yuserta. He has to go beyond what a Shomer has to do in general. Even aside from gnev and aveda, a Shomer has to be 
extra careful with the animals in his care. There is, however, a major machlokas. If the Shomer Sacher takes, uh, puts the property in an extremely secure location, a bunker, a steel-reinforced bunker with the toughest security, locks and, and alarms and everything, he puts it in a uh, super secure place. And somehow, like something out of a heist movie, the criminals manage to uh, steal it from the most secure, uh, high-tech, uh, high-tech security possible. I mean, the Risham don't talk about high-tech, but they, they talk about bunkers, underground bunkers, mechilos, takasakarka, and iron, iron doors, and iron, you know, solid, solid security. What if he did something that would be considered absolutely a reliable security, but he wasn't actually there? If he is there and it's an armed robbery, they, they, they use weapons, they overpower him, then everyone agrees he's potter. That's called listim and armed robbers. That's an explicit halacha that if the shomer sachar is, is uh, overpowered by armed men, he's potter. That's called nishba in the Torah, captured. So if the shomer sachar is there and they, and they rob him by force, that's, everyone agrees potter. If he just puts it on his kitchen table and it gets stolen, even if it's not considered negligent, it's in your house, then he's definitely chayev. That, that uh, Shomer Chinam is potter because it's not pshia. Shomer Sacher is chayev because he's chayev for Gnev. But if he put it in the super secure bunker under the ground, but he wasn't actually there, he puts it in the super secure bunker and he goes home. So, and then the robbers somehow get it. Is he chayev or potter? That was a major, that's a major machlokes we shown. Some we shown him say Gneva Ba'ones is chayev. All Gneva is chayev for Shomer Sacher, regardless of whether there's any, any, uh, any flaw in his security or not. If the... Even if there's nothing wrong, he did what, what anybody would have said is, uh, is, a, is, a, is, a, is a virtually foolproof security. It doesn't matter that if he wasn't actually there watching it, that the Shomer Sacher is Chayev. Others say, no, Gneva bonus is Potter. Gneva is only Chayev when there's at least a little bit of negligence. Maybe not gross negligence, not Pshia, but there's at least some level of negligence. If he, uh, but but if, if the security was very tight and it was, it was a total onus, then, then he's Potter for Gneva. That's my cloaks we shown him. The Sheiltos, the, the Rosh and Tosis, the, the, the Rush brings the Sheiltos, they bring a Yerushalmi, the theme to say Chaya, the Sheiltos says that unless the Shemar Sacher is there, even if he did Nitirusa, even if he did a, a, a solid Nitirusa, he says, nevertheless, he's Chaya, and he has to be there, he has to be there all the time. The, the Nitziv explains that the Sheiltos seems to connect, at least the, the Rosh's gears and the Sheiltos, it seems to connect these two things. The Yerchayev even bonus Gadol. Can we read the Sheiltos differently, he says, but that's how the Russian is still the Sheiltos, that the Shemar Sacher must be there all the time. And if he's not there all the time, even if it was in a secure location, he's chayev. The tip proposes reading the shelters differently, but that's how the Russian is still the shelters. So there are a number of Rishonim who say that Gneva Bonus is chayev, even Bonus Gadol. However, some Rishonim say Potter, the Shach and Choshen Mishpat says the Ikrid like the Marshal, that you're Potter. So it's a major machlokas Rishonim and Akronim whether the Gneva Bonus is chayev or Potter. But the Shiltus is brought by the Shulchan Aruch that a person must, must be with the property day and night. The Shiltus understood that what, that what Yaakov did is, what Yaakov did was Kedin, what Yaakov did was Lahalacha, that a Shor is Chayev and a Tirusi Yiserta. What Yaakov did is Kedin, the Shor is obligated to remain with the property day and night. Shor has no right to just abandon the property, even if it's normal, that's what normal people would do. A Shor does not have a dispensation to act as a normal person would. He has to be as he has to treat the property as carefully as he possibly can, even if that means remaining with it day and night. There is, however, a major machlok sachronim as to how to apply this halacha lemaisa. The this is a machlokus which begins from the great the great svardik achronim of the 16th century, the Marshach and the Marashtam of Shlomo Cohen and Rishul Di Medina of, of Salonika. 
they discussed cases which were fairly common in their time. The, the, the Sephardim had a thriving, uh, thriving business uh, business uh, culture, which involved a lot of trade across the Mediterranean, different countries in Europe and North Africa and the Middle East. And they, they, they frequently shipped merchandise by land routes overseas. And very often the arrangement was that there would be kind of partners or uh, or a or, or a principal and an agent where the, the investor would 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 have merchandise. He would ship the merchandise somewhere else to be sold. He would have an agent who would, who, who, who would be there in the, who, who would be managing the merchandise. It was his job to take care of it, to sell it, and then either to send the cash back or to reinvest the cash in other merchandise and send the other merchandise back. They, they would often have this arrangement that they called it a pater, I'm not sure what the word means, but a pay alef tes alef resh, pay alef tes vav resh, very common arrangement they frequently talk about in the Sephardic Chuvas. Basically, it was a kind of uh, partnership where there was an investing partner and a managing partner, and the managing partner was considered a kind of a shomer for the investing partner, or a shliach was also a shomer. So, so the, the shliach, the managing partner, would have the merchandise of the, of the investing partner, and he would have to store it somewhere while he was waiting to sell it. They would have warehouses. They used different words for warehouses, magazines, other words they, they used. So very often they, they would store the merchandise in warehouses, like we do today with merchandise. And they discussed cases, these Svardik Poskim, where thieves struck the warehouse and made off with the goods. The question was, is the, is the shliach chayev or not? Is the shomer chayev or not for the gneva? Now we know the halacha is that a shomer sacher is generally chayev for gneva, and an agent, a business agent, is generally a shomer sacher. The halacha is that not just a, a, a paid bailey where I'm paying you to watch is a shomer sacher. We paskin, it's machlokas in the Gemara, Mishnah in the Gemara, but we paskin that an uman, any type of employee, any type of artisan, anyone who's being paid to do a job with your property, and he has custodial responsibilities as well, he becomes a Shomer Sacher. Even if I'm not paying him expressly for the custodianship, I'm paying him for his work, for his, uh, if, if I give my suit to the dry cleaners, I'm not paying him to wash my suit, I'm paying him for the cleaning, but included in that is, it's his job to wash my, to, 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 to take care of my suit while it's in his custody. And because I'm paying him for his work, that makes him a Shomer Sacher. Machlokas in the Gemara, but that's how we, in the Mishnah of the Gemara, that's how we pass it. Similarly, a socher, a renter, is considered a Shomer Sacher, even though I'm not paying him to watch it, but, but, but since it's a business arrangement and he's, getting, and he's getting something out of it, he has the halacha of a Shomer Sacher. So a business agent, assuming he's not doing it uh, on a volunteer basis, assuming he's doing it as a, uh, as a paid uh, manager, he would have the status of a Shomer Sacher. So in these cases where the agent put the merchandise in a warehouse and it was stolen out of a warehouse, so the postkim debated whether the business agent is chayev. On the one hand, as we've said, a shomer sacher is chayev for gneva. That if, a, if, that if someone is paid to watch something, he's chayev for gneva. And even though the agent is not being paid to watch it necessarily, but he's being paid, since he is being paid to do the management, to, buy, to, to handle the merchandise and dispose of it and uh, do something with the money, that makes him the equivalent of a paid shomer. And therefore he should be chayev for gneva. Now the question was, okay, so if he just put it on his kitchen table, then he's chayef for gneva. But if he put it in a secure warehouse, if he, if he followed best commercial practices, and that's what, that's, what the, that's what businessmen all do, that's where merchandise is stored, that's the standard recommendation, is he still chayef? So this depends on both of the questions we've been discussing. First of all, it depends on the machlokes we've shown him, whether gneva ba'ones is chayef or not. Assuming that, 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 that he took all, all possible precautions, except actually sitting there all night, assuming the warehouse was considered perfectly secure, 
maybe that's Gneva Baonis, which some Rishonim, which some posts can say is Potter, some Rishonim Akram say is Potter. Furthermore, as, we, as we've discussed, the Shomer Sachar, we discussed, does the Shomer Sachar really have to stay there day and night like Yaakov Vinu did? The Shilta says yes, but it's not so clear. We saw that the, some, some say that Yaakov was doing. Uh, in that second question, we seem to pass in that Hashemar Sachar is not allowed to take a nap, is not allowed to go into the city, is not allowed to do all bitna daily and she, is not allowed to do numb bitna denai and she. Hashemar Sachar is mukhif to Nitirusi Yaserta. Again, putting the Rabbi Shaya Berlin and Rav Aaron Cutler's comments aside, the Iker seems to be, at this point, at least like the Shelto's, that, that a Shomer has no heter to just, to, to, to just say, even though it wasn't a perfect job, I did what people normally do. No, Shomer Sacher has to do Natiru Siyaserta. But assuming he did do Natiru Siyaserta, assuming he did take care of the property as best as he could, and even, if, even though he didn't stay, he didn't, he didn't put a sleeping bag in the warehouse on top of the pallets of merchandise, assuming the warehouse was considered, was considered uh, quite secure, and he, that might be, assuming that is called Tirusi Yaserta, so then is he going to be Chayev or not? He did do Tirusi Yaserta. The only question is, it was Gneva. So some Rishonim say, Gneva bonus is Chayev. But assuming the Shomer Sacher did whatever best practices were considered in this, in, this, in this business context, is he still going to be Chayev or not? Is it, are, are there really going to be some Rishonim who say Chayev? So here's where we have a, a great Chiddush of the, the early Sephardim. It makes a lot of sense, but it conceptually makes a lot of sense. But the Marshak and the Marashdam introduce the Sephardim the most important principle, without exaggeration, in Chosh and Mishpat, is that Hakol Kaminik Hamadina. Halacha in general follows Minhag. The halachas we find in the Gemara and the Shulchan Aruch really function as defaults, as standard default assumptions, but parties are free to make whatever explicit arrangements they will, and even implicit arrangements. If parties, if parties implicitly agree to something, if there's a prevailing custom, which is, what, which is generally known and widely followed, the Minhag Mavatl Halacha particularly in halachas which are contractual, which, which emerge from an agreement between two parties, like sales or rentals or custodial arrangements, where the rights and responsibilities of the parties emerge from a mutual agreement. So if there's a clear prevailing custom, even if it wasn't explicitly stated, the, the custom informs what the agreement is. The agreement is understood to have been made against the backdrop of the custom, and it's assumed to incorporate, uh, implicitly incorporate the, the standard assumptions based on the prevailing custom. Therefore, the Marashdam and the Marashach argue, and many, many other Sfarjim follow this as well, that if it's clear, everyone knows that business agents don't uh, bring their sleeping bags to the warehouse and sleep in the warehouse at night. That's not, that's not the way they do it. They sleep in their hotels and they put the merchandise in a secure warehouse. Everyone knows that's what the agents did. It was a, it was a clear understanding of the owner, of the, of the investor, when, when, he, when he sent the merchandise to the agent, that that's what he would do with it, that he would put it in the warehouse and go home and sleep in his home. Therefore, he's clearly absolving him of responsibility, assuming he follows those best practices that everyone does, and therefore there's a svar that you're not chayev. What about the Gemara? Some Akronim objected. Some Akronim, like the Parach Shushan, Rabbi Shua Shababa, Yudia Zayan, the Parach, Sefer Parach Shushan, he says, what do you mean? But the Gemara says, even though shepherds normally do things, they normally take certain siestas, and they normally go into the field, the Shemar can't do that. He has to do the Siyaserta. He says that, uh, I don't understand, how can the Marashtam and the Marashach say this, he says. We paskin that, that Certainly, that's also a minute, he says, he knows people take the siestas, you have to sleep sometime, he knows people sleep at some time, when people, when, when people normally sleep, not just the siesta, sleeping at night even, people do sleep, and, uh, and, and it's understood that he gave it to him under, the, under that assumption, nevertheless he's chayev. Since he's a Shemar Sacher, he's chayev anyway, this is an exception to the general rule 
to the general rule that everything is kafi the minog. Because since he's being paid, he has strict and absolute responsibility. Again, now the post, it, it, the post who, who argued that he's potter, they argued that in the laws of Shomer, we find this idea explicitly that the, that minhag can eliminate the chiv of a, of a Shomer. The Gemara says, for example, that certain things, the, the Gemara gives you rules for how to do Shmira. Cash was supposed to be buried under the ground. We don't do this today, the Rishonim say. We don't bury cash. The Rishonim gives several reasons. One of them is it's not the minhag, they say, because people today don't bury cash. So the, so the expectations and the assumptions of the parties change. So the minhag can, can alter what the halacha of the Gemara is. We follow minhag. So the Marshdam and the Marshach are arguing, say the same thing over here. So the same thing over here. If the minhag is to put it in the warehouse and, and go home, then that's the minhag. So why should you be chayyab? But the Parakshushan says no. The Parakshushan and Samachronim say no. Since Chazal told us explicitly that the Zechiv of Tirsi Yaserta, that a Shemar Sacher has to go above and beyond, a Shemar Sacher must do what Yaakov Avinu did, according to the Sheltas, Hayisi Bayom Aklani Charev Akarach Balayla. We don't follow Minog. It's a little hard to understand why. It's a little hard to understand why we shouldn't follow the Minog. But that's the question. The question, and, and that's, that's the question that we'll end with. When Yaakov Avinu said, Hayisi Bayom, I, 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 I was with the merchandise by day, Achalani Charev, and I was scorched in the heat, Akarach Balayla, and I was frozen at night. And the Shiltos and many poskim seem to understand that it's halacha l'maisa. Yaakov was not just saying he went beyond the call of duty. That actually is the chiv of a shomer. The question is, does that change if there's a minig otherwise? If there's a minig not to do that, does that change? So some poskim say that the minig always, minig always controls in halacha, that any time there's a minig, you can't possibly hold him liable. So even, even, even if you say, Gnevis onus is chayev, not if there's a minig. And even, presumably, Yisabel Kalanachar Vakarak Balayla wouldn't apply if there's a minig. Other Akronim say no. Other Akronim say, since the Gemara says, even things which Shomrim normally do, if, uh, if, if you're a Shomer Sachar and I'm paying you, I can say, that's why I paid you to do beyond what people normally do. So Minag does not always control in Shomrim. We still have to understand when Minag does and when Minag doesn't. Everyone agrees in certain cases Minag does. But that's the position of the, that's a major Machlok Sachron. One, uh, one final application of this by, by, by an Ashkenazi post, like by the different Malkiel. Ramakiel Tenenbaum, a great Polish postic from a century ago, he was asked whether the shamash, the sexton in the, in the, in the shul, was a shomer sacher or not. If, if something happens to the property of the shul, can we hold him liable? He gets paid for his work. Not the volunteer, not the volunteer gabayim, but people who get paid for their work. The shul hired a shamash to, to take care of the shul and lock up and so on. He didn't do anything wrong. He locked up properly and something got stolen. So he says, are we going to say that, there's a, that, that he's a Shomer Sacher and he wasn't there day and night, or Gnevis Onis, he says. Are we going to say he's Chayev because he's a Shomer Sacher? Says a different Malkiel, it's not true. He says, because everyone understands the Shamash does not sleep in the shul, does not stay in the shul 24 hours a day. He says he has, uh, he, he has to watch and make sure things are put away and the doors are locked, the, 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 the closet, the Aron is locked, he says. And the doors are locked, that, that during the day he says they locked the aronos, certain types of chests or cabinets, at night they locked the doors. That's his chiyav, he does not have to stay in the shul all day, he says that everyone understands, he says, e- even though, even though that uh, Gneva's own is according to some Rishon Mishayev, and the Nesiva says that, that if the Gneva happened when he was taking his nap, which was Be'idna Denaimi Inshi, which is, uh, that, that violates the Tursi Yaserta. Everyone agrees in the Siva says Chayef, because you have to do your Chayef for Gneva, and you're certainly Chayef not doing the Tursi Yaserta. Nevertheless, but everyone knows it's not what the Shemesh does. He can't hold, the, the, the bottom line is, that Demarkiel follows the basic Shita of the Marshach and the Marshdam, and many of the Gedolei Asfardim. You can't hold the Shemesh liable for something where the expectation is clearly understood that he will not do that. It doesn't make sense to hold him liable. 
Now the Rosh Makarim would seem to be chalik on this, but the, the Svar is very misdavered. That, that, that if there's a clear expectation he's not going to do it, then he can't hold him liable. Either Gemara says that Nam bin Dinami Inchi or Ol bin Dali Inchi is uh, is chayiv. Maskana, that, that probably because there's no clear minig for Hashem Sachar. Maybe the minig is for Hashem Rechinam does that, but not Hashem Sachar. Maybe the expectation is that a paid Shomer will, will, will not take advantage of those breaks. But when there is a clear minig, many, perhaps most Akronim say that when there's a clear minig, a clear expectation that, 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 that he will not do this, then most Akronim say, many or most Akronim say, he cannot be held liable for this. Although, again, there is a dissenting view. I once had a dintar about this where someone gave his car into a mechanic to do some work on it. When he got the car back, there was some damage, un- unrelated to the work. Some, something had, the car had bumped into something, or something bumped into the car. The customer said, pay me for this. The mechanic says, I didn't do it. Maybe one of the other customers in the lot uh, sideswept your car. He said, well, maybe it was your worker. So the first question is, what actually happened? Can we prove it or not? So there are a number of interesting halakhic questions involved here, but for, for our purposes... Let's say we assume the mechanic and his workers did not do it. It was done by another customer who, who, who banged into the car on the lot. Can we hold the mechanic liable? The mechanic is a Shemar Sachar. He's being paid to do work. He's an Uman. Can we hold him liable as a Shemar Sachar? So I argue that we would not hold him liable because even if he could have done more, let's say, assuming he wasn't pushed assuming he parked the car in a, in a responsible way, maybe he could have done more. Could he have took a sleeping bag out there and slept all night next to the car? Maybe. Could he have brought the car inside and uh, in, in, into a super secure location? Maybe. But everyone knows he doesn't do that. Everyone knows the mechanic keeps the car on the lot. Certainly, uh, assuming that's the way this mechanic works, he parks the car on the lot. Everyone knows they do that. So there's no expectation he's going to do anything more. Even if he could have theoretically done more, even if we're going to argue that the mechanic leaving the car in his lot is not Natirusa Yaserta. But if everyone knows that's what he does, then, then again, many Akronim would say there's no expectation of him doing anything more. And there's no Mokhamti Mechaev, even, uh, even if we say it's not a Jerusha Yaserta, there's no Mokhamti Mechaev if, if what he did was clearly in line with expectations. Now again, if the mechanic parked the car in a, in a, in a reckless way, he parked it inside a, in a traffic lane or in a place that makes it difficult for people to get in and out, maybe that's called Pshia, and that's not called what people normally do. That, that if he parked it in a way that's not responsible, it's not what people normally do, then, then certainly we can hold him Mechaev. If he parks it in a way that's... Uh, doesn't seem so secure, but everyone knows he does that, that everyone knows this is the kind of mechanic who doesn't have enough room on his lot and the cars are jammed in every which way, uh, like, stuffed in there. Again, if that's clear that that's what he does, once again, a very powerful, maybe not unanimous, but a very powerful argument can be made as long as the parties had a clear understanding and a clear expectation that that's what he was going to do, regardless of whether objectively that would satisfy the requirements, even of a Shemarchinam, certainly of a Shemarsachar, regardless of whether that meets Yaakov Avinu's standard of which according to some postkim is mandatory, nevertheless, if there is a clear expectation, many postkim would say that he's potter, although again, there may also be a dissenting view that if he's being paid, we would say he's chayev, because that's why I'm paying you to do Natirusi Yisert.